Let's pray. Jesus, help us to model our lives on the way that you lived your life. Lord, help us not just to worship you, but to follow you. Not to just think you are the secretary of afterlife affairs, but that you desire us to walk in your kingdom right now. Help us to look, as we look at the way that you lived your life, as you walked this planet, help us to see how we may follow in your footsteps. Give us the power of the Holy Spirit to do so, because it is so hard, it is so counter-cultural to live in your way. And so, Lord, as we talk about living a servant's life, Lord, where the rubber really meets the road, Lord, help us to have a position of being a servant, not a desire to be served, not to put ourselves first above others, but, from, but live in a position of humility, holding a towel, and literally and metaphorically washing the feet of our neighbors, of our families, of our enemies. And so, Lord, as we look at this text, Lord, I pray that you would open up this text to us so that we could understand what it looks like to live in the way of the kingdom. So we pray this in your name. Amen. I have a few quotes that I want to share this morning. Now, because I share a quote in a sermon does not mean I agree with it. I just want you to know that. Because these next three quotes, I don't agree with at all. But I'm just going to start this way. Quote number one, the church is supposed to direct the government, says a Republican U.S. representative from Colorado, Lauren Boebert. Next quote, it is dominion we are after, not just a voice. It is dominion we are after, not just influence. It is dominion we are after, not just equal time. We, it is dominion we are after, world conquest. That's what Christ has commissioned us to accomplish. George Grant in Changing the Guard, Biblical Blueprints for Political Action. Last quote. Today, Christianity stands at the head of this country. I pledge that I will never tie myself to those who want to destroy Christianity. We want to fill our culture again with the Christian spirit. In short, we want to burn out the poison of immorality, which has entered into our whole life and culture as a result of liberal excess the past few years. That quote seems like it could be said from someone today. 
but it wasn't. It was said sometime in 1940 by a man by the name of Adolf Hitler. Now can you see why I don't agree with those quotes? But it's really interesting. We're talking about living this life, this cruciform life, and a life of being a servant. But to talk about a life of service also means to talk about power. Because they, in, in one way, it confronts, like to be a servant confronts the dynamics of powers. Now, the quotes that I shared have this idea that Christianity, Christians should have a prominent place of power in the world. To be in charge, to dictate the affairs of this world, and in two of the instances, that this idea that America is a Christian nation. Now, I think Hitler would have said the same thing about Germany. And that because, because America is a Christian nation, which... I don't believe it is, uh, should be in charge. And that, they, that Christians should wield the power of the sword and of the state. Now, there is a belief, and so, some of you may know, have heard this belief, of, called dominionism. And it's this idea where they have this mountain, a, a seven mountain mandate. They, there's a sense of, there's this belief in some circles of the church that there are seven mountains of culture. They are religion and church, family, education, government, media, arts and entertainment, and business and economics. And the idea of this seven mountain mandate is that Christians should be in places of power in all of those seven quote-unquote mountains. That we should um, be in charge of government and of education, and of business, and of entertainment, and economics, and just all across the board of culture, Christians should be in charge. And that is the way it should be. But when I hear that, I wonder what Jesus actually thinks. What Jesus actually has to say about this idea that Christians should be in places of power. I believe Jesus actually says a lot about this. And so we're going to Matthew 20, 20 to 28. Matthew 20, 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus, their sons, and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in the kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. When the 10 heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many.
So now what we see in this text is that the mother of James and of John come to ask Jesus this favor. Now, nowhere does it say where she came up with this idea to ask. But my suspicion is that James and John is like, hey, mom, can you do me a favor? Can you do if it's a favor? Can you go ask Jesus this so that it doesn't look like we're doing it? I, you know, I don't know if that's the way it happened, but that's the way I can see it happening. Because they don't, then they would say, well, we, it wasn't ours. That was that. Mom wanted us to do that. Mom wanted us to be in the place of power. We didn't want that. And so she asked this, hey, Jesus, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right and the other one on your left in your kingdom. Now, he, she's not asking, hey, Jesus, when you go back to heaven, when you sit on your heavenly throne, can there be two thrones up in heaven beside you? One on your left and one on your right. That's not what she's asking. She's asking, hey, Jesus, when you come and violently overthrow Rome and set up your empire, if you will, you're, you're on this planet's kingdom, can they rule and reign with you? Can they sit in places of power and position? And status. You see, there's this idea that that G, that the Messiah would come back, and he would be more of a Davidic Messiah, one that instead of riding on a donkey would ride on a white horse. Instead of carrying a towel, would yield a sword, and defeat the powers of the Roman Empire. That this Messiah would fight fire with fire, or Better put, violence with violence. So ingrained was that theology, if you will, that the only way to be free, to be liberated from oppression, was to fight back violently. That's what they believed. And so James and John, are, and, and really all the disciples, are bent on trying to find places of power, prestige, and position. And so they come and they say, Jesus, well, the mother says, I want our, my sons to sit in the places of power. Later on, we, we read this. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. So why were they indignant? Were they indignant that the two disciples had really misunderstood Jesus? They're like, come on, man. You know Jesus is not about that. He's not going to be about violence. He's going to be about love and service and justice. I don't, I don't think that's, they, they didn't say that. Were they upset that they probably had put their mother up to it or asking Jesus? Or were they indignant because they asked first? They were going to do it too. They wanted the same places of power and prestige and position that James and John were, gonna, were asking about. And they were upset that someone else beat them to it. Which to me, they didn't, that means all the disciples did not understand. After years of walking with Jesus day in and day out, they didn't understand what he came to do. They had no clue. Now, in one way, I feel, it makes me feel better, right? Because, you know, I've journeyed with Jesus, and sometimes I'm still like, what? What? What do you, what do you mean? 
So I don't understand. But I didn't walk with him. Like, right here he is, day in and day out. They get him wrong. They don't understand his lordship of his power. Because the one thing we're going to say is, if anyone has true power, it's Jesus. It's not like he doesn't have any power. But what does he do with the power that he has? He doesn't take it away. He doesn't use it in a way that the world system would use power. In fact, so often, what, what the disciples believe, believed at the time, what many in the church even today, hence those three quotes that I mentioned earlier, this idea that as Christians, we should have power, but we should have power over. I mean, those quotes were all about having power over, but Jesus lives a life of power from under. Jesus, the most powerful one in the room on that night, takes on the position of a servant, takes on the towel. That's power under. And so in verse 25, we see Jesus telling his disciples what power looked like from the way of the empire, of the world system. The way of the kingdom of darkness. In verse 25, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Lord it over, have authority over. It's all about in this system of the world and the way of the empire is about power over others. Because that's the way you change things, right? You power and you get your way. You dictate from on high. You crush the oppressors and you make it happen the way you want. The disciples saw this day in and day out, that that's what leadership was. It was all about dictating what you wanted and what you, the way you were doing. When they looked at Rome, when they looked at even their own people, that's what they saw, this lust for power, even, even in their own hearts, even in their own lives, even in their own theology, it became about power over. And it just, even, even this idea of power over just got baptized. If Christians were just in charge, that's baptized power over. But did you see, but did you see the response? What Jesus says When it, comes, when it comes to this idea, this idea that even in our, own, in our own culture right now, in the American church, we are much more comfortable with this power over dynamic. We set one person up in the church as the in charge one. I mean, all you got to do is read the newspapers. All you got to do is listen to some blogs. I mean, read some blogs and listen to some podcasts. You can see how this power over this idea of leading from on high has infiltrated our own culture, our own churches. In fact, this quote from a man by the name of Greg Boyd says, The evangelical church in America has to a large extent been co-opted by our American religious version of the kingdom of the world. We have come to trust the power of the sword more than the power of 
of the cross. Think about it. Remember the three quotes? There's a misunderstanding of a power. And it's not just extreme people like Hitler. Because we can just go, ah, that's just Hitler. Hitler was a nut job. And some of these other people, they're just crazy. But it, honestly, if we're all honest, it's all within us. We, we, I, at times, want to be in the places of power, of prestige, of status. Being given deference to. Being in charge. Being first. You know, you know how else are we going to make a difference in this world? Unless we're in charge. How else are we going to make a difference in the world unless we do our sacred duty of voting for the right people? And if you think that's a little extreme, I've actually literally heard those words. Sacred duty of voting. It's sacred, all right. But it's not sacred to the way of Jesus. It's a sacred to another way of being. And we can talk all about whether you should or should not vote another time. But so often, our imaginations has been captured by the way of this world and the systems and the powers of this world. And we have no other imagination to how we can make a difference and influence. I mean, get into it with people. I mean, it's like, well, we got to vote for the right person and vote the wrong person out. And if you start to mess with, well, does that really make a difference? Oh, man, boy, get ready. Because you're going to hear it. I mean, (laughs) I've heard it. How are we going to take America back for God? Oh, boy. That's been co-opted by the powers and the principalities of this dark world and of the empire. But did you see? This is so awesome. I love this. Jesus' response. He says four simple words. Not so with you. Not so with you. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be a way about the kingdom, not so with you. There is another way than power over. It's the, it's the amazing power under. It's, he doesn't speak from saying, well, not so with you, but I can do it. I mean, of anybody who could wield power perfectly without sin, without brokenness, without like this idea of like power corrupting and absolute power corrupts absolutely. If anyone could wield power from a right position, it was him, sinless one. But every single time he gets confronted with this sense of like take over and and power over and get your way, he rejects it. Luke 4, the Satan and him are in, at, there, he's tempting him. And he says, hey, if you just worship me, I will give you the kingdoms of this world. Now, he, interestingly, he never confronts that question. Like, is that true or not? He never confronts that. But what does he say? He says, no, you worship God and God alone. He rejects that way of power. He, there's another time he's talking to people, I think in his hometown, and they want to make him king by force. And what does he do? He somehow walks through the crowd. And, and leaves. Every time he is confronted with taking on empire-like power, he rejects it. Every time. 
the one time, well, more than one time, but in our history, the very one time in the 300s when we were confronted with the idea of taking on power in like 313, when Constantine said, oh, I'm going to make Christianity the religion of the empire, what did we do? We took it, hook, line, and sinker, and became people of power over where we then said, oh, if you don't know Jesus, we'll just take the sword and we'll slit your throat. Because that looks like Jesus to me. Not so with you. If verse 25 defines the powers of this world and the empire, then the rest is the power of the kingdom, of Jesus, of the cross, and the way of following him. If the way of the principalities and powers of this dark world and the empire about lording over, authority over, power over, then the way of Jesus and the cruciform life is power under, of service, of being a servant. Greg Boyd again. While all the versions of the kingdom of the world acquire and exercise power over others, the kingdom of God, incarnated and modeled in the person of Jesus Christ, advances only by exercising power under others. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If we desire to be great... The world system, the brokenness, the sin in our life, we, it calls out for power, status, position, image, having others serving us, acquiring things. Not so with you. You want to be great, says Jesus, in the kingdom of God. It means you take on the role of a servant. It means you pick up the towel and wash feet. If you want to be great, you put the needs of others before you. If you want to be great, you give deference to others. If you want to be great, put others before yourself. If you want to be great, follow in the way of Jesus, who did not come to be served, but to serve. That's what it means to be great in the kingdom. That's what it really means to live a cruciform life. That is what it means to live with power in the kingdom of God. We've been talking these last few weeks about this cruciform life, a life shaped in the way of the cross, of Jesus and the kingdom. If Jesus who is Lord, who is Savior, who is the model for how we should live our life, if he came not to be served, but to serve, then we should do likewise. John 12, 26, whoever serves me must follow me. If you want to serve Jesus, you don't just worship him, you follow him. If you want to live a cruciform life, you serve others. We need to live, as we talked about a few weeks of life, a life of kenosis, self-emptying. We need to be discipled in the way of Jesus and not in the ways of this world. We need to immerse ourselves in the Gospels to shape us in the form of the cross. And so this cruciform life is a servant's life, a life of service to Jesus and the people in this world that he loves, not just your friends, 
not just your family, but your enemies as well. That's what it means to live a cruciform life. So my questions are this. What does it look like for you and I as individuals, but as a community, to live this cruciform life and a life of service and not power over, but power under? What does it actually look like on the ground, rubber meets the road, concretely? And so we're going to talk a little bit about that together in our groups.